welcome to the Oxygen Addict Podcast. We're brought to you every week by our sponsors, PrecisionFuelAndHydration.com. You can personalize your fueling and hydration strategy so you perform at your best. With 15% off your first order of electrolytes and carbohydrate fuel with the code OA23 at PrecisionFuelAndHydration.com. Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm your host, Coach Rob Wilby, and every week I bring you an episode of this podcast to help motivate and inspire you. This week, I'm joined once again by co-coach Chris Palferman. This week, we're talking about the end of the winter training block, how you can assess the progress that you've made during the winter training block, the purpose of the winter training block, what it was there for, what it was meant to do, the results that you can expect we've seen over this last 16-week block and how things are going to change moving forwards as we start, lots of us, to move away from the winter training plan forward onto our race-specific training plans. Before we go on though, I'd like to implore you to like and subscribe to the show on whichever app you're currently listening on. If you're on any podcast player, you've got the opportunity to like and subscribe to it. It really helps the visibility of the show, which in turn helps us reach more people. Likewise, if you're watching on YouTube, you could do the same there. We've been putting the show out on YouTube and we've been amazed at the extension of the reach the show has had just by having us out there chatting backwards and forwards on YouTube every week. So if you're not currently a subscriber over on YouTube, we'd love you to go over there and like and subscribe to the show there. Before we go to the main interview this week... I want to give a shout out to our sponsors, Precision Fuel and Hydration. You can use their free fueling and hydration planning tool to receive a personalized strategy for your next race. The plan will help you understand your own carbohydrate, electrolyte and fluid needs so you can refine your strategy during training and then nail it in racing. Don't forget, you can also book a free one-to-one video consultation with PFNH's athlete support team, and they'll be happy to help you nail your race nutrition plan and help you perform at your best on race day. And I don't know whether you guys saw this at the weekend, but Leon Chevalier, one of the PFNH sponsored athletes, nailed his race at Ironman South Africa, took the win there. He looked super strong on the run in his precision fuel and hydration hat there. I know he's been a long-time advocate of their product, and it's great to see him get that success. I love the company. I love Andy and Dave and the team behind it. It really, really helped out my both my racing at long distance and my training indoors. I was a terrible sufferer of cramp indoors and the electrolyte sachets solved that seemingly almost overnight. And I also really struggled when I was racing in the heat and the humidity and often was left at the three really big long distance races I did in the heat. I was left really sick with hyponatremia at the end on a drip in the medical tent. It was really unpleasant. And again, sorting out my sodium intake, I'm a really, really salty sweater, over 1,500 milligrams per litre. So for me, if I was on any kind of moderately warm day, I'd be losing 10,000 milligrams of sodium during the course of an event and just would be in an utter state, throwing up at the end of the race and just couldn't understand what was going on it was the solution to my problem. So if that's you, if you're training indoors in the heat and you're struggling with getting cramps, or if you're feeling really ill at the end of races, or you're not performing to your best in any kind of heat and events, sorting out your electrolyte needs is the key to staying hydrated. So go over and check them out over at precisionfuelandhydration.com and use the code OA23 at checkout for 15% off your first order. 
Right, over to this week's interview of the week. It's a coaching conversation between me and coach Chris Palfreman about the end of winter, how you can assess your progress during winter and what that progress means for your movement going forwards into your race season this year. All right, Chris, welcome back onto the show. It's lovely to see you again, my friend. How are you doing today? Hello, Rob. Yeah, very well. Thank you. Good to be back. Good stuff. Well, today we're going to be concentrating on talking to our athletes about the transition that's happening at the moment. I was I was very hopeful as we were talking that I'd be able to talk about the transition between winter and springtime training and, and draw a parallel with how the weather improves. But I'm looking at the window at the snowstorm that's starting to blow across the horizon. It doesn't feel as though winter has ended in terms of the uh, the seasons here today. No, we don't learn every single year this happens and, you know, the temperature goes to eight degrees and we all think it's summer again and it's just not. <laughs> yeah. Take your time, everyone. The groundhog, the groundhog saw its shadow this year for sure where I live. I think we've got we've got snow forecast here for the next 14 days. So, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, and that's that's fine. We'll talk about that because it's really important, I think, to address how plans on paper might not always work out for plans in the real world. And just because we've said the winter block is ending doesn't mean winter's ending. How can we adapt to training? How can we be smart? All of that stuff is going to feed into the real world, isn't it? Yeah, totally. I think that probably leads us quite well into um, kind of pressing pause for the athletes. Um, And it's kind of a slight moment of reflection of reminding ourselves where we're at in our race season and training phase um so i think if i pose you the question rob of what was the purpose of this winter block assuming that the athletes listening are kind of at the process of either finishing their last couple of weeks or maybe you've actually just finished your call it 16 week winter block remind us and remind it to the new listeners on what was the actual purpose of that 16 weeks? Yeah, it's a great question, Chris. And and I think a lot of the athletes we coach, they are either have just finished or are coming to the end of their, their winter block or their FTP building block that we, we describe it as. And to take a step back from it, for especially for athletes who aren't coached by us or who are new to the show, we approach the process of coaching and training athletes for long distance events slightly differently to the traditional you know the traditional approach which is essentially winter is the time for doing lots of long slow miles and as you gradually get closer to your summer event you gradually ramp up the intensity and as you get close to your goal event you're doing the most intense the shortest the hardest sessions of the year and and that theory holds true really well for track runners who are running 800 meters 1500 meters by the very nature of it, they have to be specific for the training they're doing for events. So they have to do their shortest, hardest, fastest sessions closest to their event in order to be ready. Where I don't think it holds up so well is if you're racing long distance events. And, and in my book, any triathlon, any endurance event is a long distance event. Even a sprint triathlon is over an hour long, which in context is longer than most of the events that any any runner will ever do, you know? So it doesn't make sense in this context of long distance triathlon and endurance events to do the shortest, hardest, fastest sessions closest 
to your event because they're not the ones that are most specific. And if we take the example of a marathon runner or an Ironman triathlete, the most specific sessions for them are going to be the longest endurance sessions. It doesn't matter how hard you're going on a six hour ride to a certain extent. It's the duration of that ride that's the most important thing. And, and arguably, if you go out too hard and you only do three or four hours of your six hour ride because you've gone too hard, there's no benefit in order to say I've, I went too hard, but it's fine because I finished after four hours. It's totally blown. The idea of it is you're training to be able to last the length of the race that you're going to be doing. All of which is a long way around to saying if you're going to do your longest uh, and endurance training events in the run up to your long race, when are you going to fit in the time to do the shorter, harder events that are going to increase your overall aerobic fitness? And so that's the way we structure winter. We do a really intense block of FTP training on the bike in order to increase our engine size during the winter. And then as we approach our race season, we gradually extend the length of those rides. And if we've got it right, which we hopefully will do in almost all cases. What athletes find when they transition to training outside again after the long, cold winter is they're going faster for the same effort when they go outdoors. So all that hard work on the turbo trainer translates to riding at, I don't know, 31 kilometers an hour on the Sunday ride rather than 27 kilometers an hour on the Sunday ride. They're not trying any harder. They're riding at the same relative percentage of their FTP. It's just that their FTP is now bigger. Their, their engine size has grown. So the engine doesn't need to work any harder, but you'll be going faster. That's essentially the, the summation of our winter training philosophy, I think. I think that makes um, total sense, Rob. And I think a little cherry on top is that the majority of our athletes are UK-based, European-based, or in America, for example, but the climates are pretty harsh in the winter. And so I have a lot of conversations with athletes, and at times they're struggling to get a two or three hour ride done at the weekend because of weather, because of lack of daylight. So if we were to flip that on its head and actually say, no, we're going to do an FTP build in the build up to your race, but actually in winter, we're going to stick to the very slow aerobic easy miles. In reality, I don't think we'd get many athletes through that. You know, mm. doing three, four hour rides two or three times a week in the winter, our athletes aren't full time. And so they're, they're balancing work, they're balancing family, and it's just not realistic. So I soon um, went to the same philosophy through my training as well. And I actually tried what you call the more traditional base training. And I, I didn't last long at all. I was based in the UK, trying to ride big miles, trying to run big miles in the winter. By the time I came out of the winter, I was I was already cooked. I, I, I wasn't able to get the benefit out of the next phase of training. So for mm -hmm. me, it makes absolute total sense. Yeah, it's 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 partly reacting to the reality of how much time you've got to train, because if you have 40 hours a week to train, well, there's no argument. I'm not going to stand here and say to people, if you had 40 hours to train, the best way to spend them wouldn't be to do a seven hour a week training plan. It just wouldn't. It would be to do more training because you got the time. But if you're trying to fit that in around a full time job, around childcare, around family, around friends, all of that kind of stuff, 
and trying to find a way to train safely on the bike in the wintertime. It's very, very challenging. And so this philosophy is really, it's really grown out of a kind of real world response to, well, what's the best way to spend the time that most athletes have living in Northern Hemisphere winter? And it, it's interesting, actually, I think that Zwift has changed the game mm. in the last two or three years. The pandemic changed the game. Before this, a lot of people really hated turbo trainers. They were they were seen as a not even as a necessary evil, just as an evil. You know, it was a it was a thing that you went to do to punish yourself. And people call their pain cave that for a reason. Zwift has changed that to mean that indoor training is actually enjoyable now. The the, the variety of routes you've got to ride, the fact you don't have to essentially bury yourself every single ride in order to get through the workout has really changed that but that wasn't the case 10 years ago and so it's grown up as a reaction to how to make the best use of what for most people is is limited training time and limited daylight hours as well essentially i think that's the that's the key thing it's helping people make the most of the time that they've got totally and in terms of you know we kind of touched on uh on cycling and the ftp build mm. um We've done two or three podcasts now on swimming and hopefully the listeners have gone away and they're really focusing on what we think is the main element of swimming, which is technique. So can you talk to us a little bit about over the past 16 weeks, what you have expected, at least our athletes and hopefully new listeners to be to have focused on over the 16 week period in the water? Yeah, well, I think. It's also really important to recognize that there's a certain truth to the idea that you can't hammer yourself all year long. You just can't because you're going to end up, as you described, completely flat at the time of year when you need to be most ready and willing and mentally able to train. So if you keep pushing yourself to do fitness training all year round, all the time, what's going to happen is you get to four to eight weeks out before you race and you just can't do the training you need to do. And so that feeds in very nicely to the fact that we have to improve our swim technique at some point of year. And the time to improve our swim technique is when we're furthest away from our race. So that as we transition into fitness training, if you like, we're doing so with an improved set of stroke techniques. Same principle holds true. You're then moving through the water faster for the same effort. So that's essentially where we spend all of our time in the pool during the winter is saying to people, there will be some specific drills that you try that you find incredibly difficult. And probably the lifeguard wanders over and sees if you're okay, because you just can't make the drill work. But whatever that drill is, is probably the one that's going to move you through a swim stroke floor or swim, swim stroke plateau in order to be able to swim faster when you return to to swim fitness training. Now, that's not to say we just have athletes just do technique work all the time, but the vast majority of the focus is, can I get myself to the point where I am swimming faster for the same effort by intelligent use of specific swimming drills designed to correct one of the three major problems that all age group swimmers have? So the three problems are either going to be number one with the catch and pull at the front of the stroke. Number two, with the body position, keeping them level in the water. Or number three, it's going to be trying to keep their their sort of um, their body rotation coordinated with the front end of the stroke. One of those things, three things is always the issue 
with athletes who are struggling to swim fast because most of the athletes we have are already very aerobically fit if you're riding 90k in three hours and you're getting in the pool and you can't break three minutes for 100 the problem is not fitness it, because it's the same body, the, the blood is moving around, the oxygen's going in and out the muscles. It's application of your force to the water that's the problem. And doing more swimming isn't going to change that. It's got to be changing the way that you swim and apply that force to the water. And it's not unusual to see when, I mean, as you'll know, when something clicks for an athlete in the pool and they make that breakthrough change in the technique, they can be 10 seconds, 100 faster in the click of the fingers. Because it's not this, and we really struggle with that, don't we, right? As runners and, and cyclists, you don't see these massive jumps in times in those sports, but you can in swimming. You can have a genuine breakthrough where you go, oh, okay, you know, that hip should be moving up as that foot goes down. And all of a sudden, the rotation clicks and you, you're powering through the water. So that's the thing I really love about swimming, the fact that someone who's kind of given up on ever being any good at it can have this massive jump and improvement in, in almost a click of the fingers. Exactly. And I think this is a really timely conversation. Um, and it's one that I've had with a lot of athletes recently. And it's, I mean, for me, there, there are two parts. It's don't fall into the trap of trying to swim a little bit faster each session. And right. you touched on it there really well, which is think about your whole swimming in terms of technique and you can do the hard work elsewhere on the bike in, in FTP sessions. But also you've got to think about where you're at in terms of your calendar year. And this is the perfect time to make sure that what you're doing physically is actually what you're aiming to do. So what I mean by that mm. is in the water, it's very easy to think that you're doing x y and z in your swim stroke but then you get some video analysis and it doesn't even look like you nothing resembles the motor pattern that you actually thought you were going through so if you feel that you're an athlete that's um that's turning up for swims very regularly and you are applying yourself but you're still not getting that breakthrough that rob was talking about then now's the time towards this end of this winter block you've still got plenty of time to correct your swim stroke but make sure you, that you get eyes on it you have to see it for yourself so either get a swim partner to film it on a phone a camera um anything like that or even better get a professional coach to film you and then do a full analysis of your swim stroke and then go away from that session with a, B, and C of what you need to do in your swim stroke. And remember, we're only in, you know, February, March. We've got so much time before, hopefully, before your big A race. So now's the time to do that. And don't don't think, I'll do that next year. I'll do that later in the season. If you're yes. going to do that, do it now, because you can. You, now's the time that you're going to be able to apply the changes. And it takes a lot of time. I remember you in one of the last podcasts referring to swimming as golf, and it's it's the same thing. You don't change one small thing in your golf stroke and then in your golf swing and then go and play your biggest tournament of the year the, the, the following week. It takes time and mm. you've got the luxury of time right now. So, yeah, get on the Internet and look for your um, local professional um, swim coach. And that is so valuable. Yeah. And and to go back to what you said, that the phase one of that, even seeing yourself swim on video for the first time, things have changed again over the last few years. It used to be that there was no way any pool manager was ever letting you in with a with a video camera or, you know, for obvious reasons. 
now as more and more people are taking swimming seriously, it's really common that pools will give you, you have to ask the manager first and you have to get a, a signed consent form. And there might be a specific time that they get you to go and swim and have someone film you. But almost all the pools that we used used to used to allow that, certainly within specific tri-club sessions. And all you need to do is see yourself swimming from above the water to realize that what you think you are doing isn't what you're actually doing. That can be enough to help you work out well, at the very least, I need someone to tell me what I need to change because I can see, you know, my hand is entering where I don't think it is or my legs are splaying behind me as I go to breathe. The really common stroke flaws, the, the solution to them isn't it isn't often obvious, but there is a solution to them. That's the thing. But just seeing what you're doing can make a really big difference. So dead simple to get videoed and just have a quick look at it. I know loads of the coaches I used to train for British Triathlon this was a big topic of conversation. You know, am I allowed to just get out my iPhone, film the athletes as a swimming and show it to them on pool deck? And the answer is, well, no, if you've not got the consent of the pool manager, so get the consent of the pool manager and, you know, know if it's the consent of the athlete isn't there, but if they want you to do that to, to improve, absolutely. So take care of the sort of admin stuff and then really make those, really make those changes. And then, like you say, it's a great time to go and have a professional swim stroke analysis done. Again, mate, five, 10 years ago, to be able to film something under the water, you know, the original, the GoPros weren't even waterproof and they had to have a little, do you remember the plastic housing you had to get? And we used to be duct taping it to the end of a, an extendable pole and walking yeah. in front of people. And now most camera phones are waterproof and you yeah. can just, I mean, for God's sake, read the manual before you follow my <laughs> advice here. But, but a lot of camera phones can be can be popped down into the water and you can actually see what's going on under the water. So, yeah, it's it's easy for me to sit here and say, look, there's one of three things going wrong. And the athletes are sitting at home going, well, what are these things and how do I fix them? But honestly, it's going to be one of those three things that we talked about. It's going to be body balance in the water. It's going to be connection between the hip snap and the hands, or it's going to be not using your forearm as a paddle and, and, and getting all of your arm to pull you through the water. The drills to fix it are really simple, but the first step is working out which of those things you need to personally do. And, and that that's like the 80, 20 rule. If, if athletes get that one thing that they can work on, it makes the change. It will make a big difference to their swimming. Perfect. Um, I've got one small comment that I think it's really relevant for this time of year. And it was one of the first podcasts of the year that we did. And we were talking about um, essentially how long a season can be these days. And mm. a lot of people's A races are obviously in the summer and even end of summer. And I think now is the time where people are probably able to analyze whether they got it right in terms of that big jug of motivation. And I've spoken to a lot of athletes that, when all guns blazing, first two weeks, 100% on race ready week after week. And then now it's slowly but surely dropping off. And you ask them, why is your consistently, why is your consistency dropping off slightly? And you often see a swim is disappearing, or more likely than not, a strength and conditioning session. So I don't have a solution for the listener right now. But what I'm going to ask the listener to do is just press pause, have a think. This is a bit of a reset time as you focus on the next block of training and just make sure that you're accountable to yourself, that you are confident in 
how you're structuring your week, your logistics, your training, your recovery to make sure that in June, July, August, you still have the level of motivation to get you to that start line, really hungry for it, really fresh, really excited, as opposed to using all your cookies now and start to to wean off. And I've done it many times myself. I've done it wrong many times myself. And I think when you have a 16-week block like this, it's a really healthy process to actually just stop a little bit and review and think, am I doing things right? And if not, now's the time to change that. And again, you've got the luxury of time. And I use the word review in that last sentence, which I think leads us on to the next bit quite well, which is how do we review how we're getting on? Are we testing? Are we not testing? What's your opinion on on that? Obviously, the majority of our athletes, if not all our athletes, and we do ask them to do a test in each discipline. Um, But I think it'll be refreshing, Rob, if we hear your perspective on what Mm. you'd expect the athletes to be testing at the end of a 16-week winter block. Yeah, so really briefly then the way that we approach testing is we'll we'll test swim bike and run in week one of our winter block in about week eight or nine of the winter block which will depend on when christmas falls and again in week 16 of the winter block so we've essentially got a baseline test at the start of the winter block halfway through we'll have a test to see how we're getting on and then at the end we'll also have a test to see how we're getting on the tests that we will actually do, we'll we'll do a traditional FTP test on the bike. We'll talk through all three of these individually. The FTP test involves a 20-minute flat-out time trial. And at the end of that, we see the, the athlete's average power, and we take 95% of that, and we say, that's your functional threshold power. And that's analogous to the amount of power you could probably hold in a race if you were surrounded by other highly motivated people for an entire hour. Now, there's some caveats here, and they're important to talk about. The protocol of testing for 20 minutes to predict an hour's power number is slightly controversial, let's say, as as we all know. And originally, the number 20 came out of the fact that the test was being done on your own, in the garage, in the dark, in the middle of winter, to predict what you could do for an hour in the summertime racing other people. So I'll caution people a little bit here. Zwift has changed this slightly. If you're doing your FTP test on Zwift, in a time trial on Zwift, surrounded by other people, yes, it's still a predictor, but for some people, it's going to be a better predictor than others. I think that's the best way to say it. So I know for me, if if I'm doing a test on my own, or if I'm doing a test like we did, you know, we set up those team time trials over the winter that we did sometimes, I can definitely put more power out feeling like Andy Heaps is catching me on the bike than I can on my own. And so I think my numbers are skewed a bit higher in that kind of test situation. For me, I don't think the FTP number that came out of that particular test was as accurate. It was a bit too high. Than, than the one previously but that's something for every athlete to work out and that's okay as long as from test to test they're all the same then I think we've got a valid comparison between our, our three our baseline our midwinter and our end of winter tests as long as we're all the same that's fine but think of them as a discrete number that's showing you progress you've made rather than it certainly isn't a scientific 
well, I did this number in the test. So 95% of this is whatever. And I can hold that outside on the local time trial course for an hour outdoors. Just don't think it works like that, does it? No, it's a really complicated subject, I think. And you've got to remember, let's say, you know, we've got so many athletes doing long distance triathlon. So that can mean a five, a six, a seven, an eight hour ride. And so the reality is we only really want one test because we want to use the majority of our time training as opposed to testing the whole time. And so we have to pick one. We could have picked a five minute test. We could have picked a 50 minute test. The point is that there's going to be flaws in whichever test you pick. But as long as you can replicate it season upon season and multiple times within a season, it's just benchmarking the numbers to make sure that the sessions we give you are still appropriate for your current zones. That's all it is. And so I think I've I've frustrated quite a few athletes this week because I've had calls with them and pre-test they're looking for what do you expect my number to be? And I'm quite honest, to be honest, at this stage, I don't really care. I just care that in that 20 minute, you give a really honest account and give it 100% for that 20 minutes. Whatever the number is at the end, it could be 10 watts below, it could be 10 watts above. And either way, I'm not going to get really excited or really panicky about it because in the grand scheme of things, what we're testing is how good you were for 20 minutes. And that's okay. We're defining your zones. That's the point. We're not yeah. we're, we're not getting too excited about what it is. So I think yeah, it's not an A level, is it? That's the no. thing. It doesn't determine whether you get into university or not. And it shouldn't be built up to be this big thing. It's simply making sure that your zones are correct and your power levels are correct for the next block of training. That's all it is. Yeah, there's nothing worse than an athlete guessing what their FTP is. And therefore, the next eight to 16 weeks is going to be based around a zone that an athlete feels and as a coach, we we can't just go on that field. We actually need to see the data because we're accountable to the training that we're giving the athlete. So therefore, the test is really for the athlete for the coach's benefit to make sure that we're giving the correct zones at the correct time. And so if the athlete can just frame it at that and just say, okay, I see this as an opportunity for a 20-minute maximal effort, that's a great session in itself. But don't get too worried or too excited either way. It's just one metric out of many metrics that we could be using. It's just this is the the one that's kind of most applicable to the majority of people. So I I feel that athletes get in a bit of a twist with this FTP stuff. And it's really important. I'm certainly not saying it's not important. I, you know, I truly believe that it's a fantastic metric, but I don't want too much of the conversation to be stuck in FTP and I'm two watts above or two watts below. What does that mean? It means that we're training you in the correct zone. We can now move on and get onto the next block and make sure that you're race ready. And if that's a six hour Ironman bike, that's brilliant. The 20 minute effort helped us guide you towards that, but it's not the be all and end all. Do you know, it's interesting you've said that. I, I read a great blog yesterday by the American pro triathlete Justin Dare, who won Ironman Boulder many years ago. And one of the things he wrote on his blog was he had his best ever performance in a race in a block of training where he'd had to go to three weddings over three weekends in three different places in the country. And he kind of threw his hands in the air and went, this race is in eight weeks time. I've had a horrendous build up to it. I'm going to do the best I can, but the result doesn't matter. And he he writes really eloquently about how he he was at the same time 
bothered about the race result, but completely detached from the race result at the same time. And because of that detachment, he'd given himself permission to not obsess about the result every day, which resulted in his best training block, which resulted in him winning Ironman Boulder. And the way he writes about that, that mindset of, I was bothered about it, but I wasn't obsessed by the outcome of it. And I couldn't ever get that mindset back again. It's really, really interesting. I think it's the same with the FTP test on a much lower level. If you can be curious about what your result is without thinking that there's, you know, any self-worth attached to the outcome of it, you're not a better person or a worse person because your FTP goes up or down. It's just a measure of making sure we're training at the appropriate level. And actually, if an athlete's numbers don't go up or they come down a bit, that's a positive from our point of view, because we found out what that is and we've stopped them training too hard because you definitely would make less progress over a block by training just too hard than you would by training just under that threshold. That's the key thing. It's not... It's a ceiling, not a target. I love that phrase. We, we want you to stop you going above this level because above that level, you're going to get exponentially more tired for no more benefit whatsoever. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, Rob. Um, there's another kind of point on this, which is a lot of, well, the 20-minute test is a 20-minute test, and that's great. And if you think about that in terms of running, we're not sending athletes to do their 20 minute absolute maximal run every x amount of weeks and from that we're not going to be determining exactly what their marathon time off the bike in an ironman would be so i think that's a good comparison of okay if all our athletes went to do their 20 minute run test what would that mean in terms of a marathon prediction it, it it's not yeah, it's, you wouldn't try and extrapolate that, the two, would you? You wouldn't do a 5K yeah. and go, that means my marathon will be this. Yeah, exactly. It just point. means you're getting butter. You're sorry, you're getting better at running 5K or you're getting better at running a 20 minute. But that doesn't mean you're better at running two hours or three hours or four hours off the back of a six hour bike, off the back of a one hour and change mm. swim. So you've you've got to think about the context of the sport that you're in. We're not time trialists. I mean, we are to a certain degree, but we're not 20 minute specialists in anything. Mm. We're multiple hours on end of multidiscipline sports. So we're just trying to have a little window into the zones, into your aerobic system as coaches to make sure that we're staying accountable and not just sending you off and doing monster ftp sessions by putting you 25 watts above what you should be that's all it is so don't you yeah, know people don't make the mistakes losing, we did yeah <laughs> we've all been there but i think athletes are losing sleep about it of oh i've gone down five watts or i've put in all this work and i've only gone up two watts but it, it's there's more nuance to it and mm. i wouldn't worry about it i really wouldn't yeah 100 percent. and again i think it brings us on to the next point about running Training hard on the bike is the safest way to improve your run fitness because the running and the biking training for triathletes fits together like this. It really does. In order to save people from getting any kind of run injuries or niggles, having them not do any hard running through the winter is one of the best things they can do. And I'm convinced that one of the reasons people make so much progress in their running with us is because they don't end up going and doing any track sessions with the club during the winter. And so they don't get a sore calf. They don't pick up a niggle. They don't get 
egoed into racing somebody over the last 200 of the last rep and end up with really sore hamstrings for the next three or four days. We've, we've A lot of us have been there in the past and made those mistakes. Working really hard on the bike is a really safe way to improve your top end run fitness and being really consistent with your running is the key to improving your run fitness. And this is one of my favorite things that happens at the end of our winter block is when athletes say, you know what, coach, I've done all of the winter training now. I haven't done any fast running for 16 weeks in some cases. I want to go out and do a 5K or I want to go out and do a 10K and just see where my run fitness is. And we have so many examples of athletes coming out and knocking a minute, two, three minutes off the 10K time, having done no specific run training at all. And it's all down to the durability being so good. None of it's down to, you know, my, my traditional older running friends talk about needing to do the speed work during the winter. I'm not going to race well because I've not done speed work. And you think if you just stopped doing the speed work, you'd be, you'd be loads better because you wouldn't have these niggles and injuries all the time. So yeah. So that's the real secondary benefits, I think, of the hard FTP bike sessions is it feeds both run and bike fitness. And that'll come on to talking about how we test running. We don't send athletes out every four, six, eight weeks to do a hard run during the winter. Our run test is very deliberately a submaximal run test where we get athletes to run at what most people consider, I guess, to be tempo running, wouldn't it? the M pace that comes from Jack Daniels um, pace predictors. It's a nice, moderately fast, but sustainable pace. And they monitor the heart rate as they do this. And the mark of progress across the winter then becomes either A, they do the next test at the same pace as before and see that the heart rate is lower, or B, they do the test at an increased M pace and have the same heart rate Either way, you're seeing that you've improved your run fitness without ever having to go to the very top end of your running and push yourself during the the longest, darkest, coldest winter months for the rest of the year. That's a really good point. I'd also suggest athletes that do go and do this test, which I think is a brilliant test, to make a note to themselves in Training Peaks or whichever system they use and also use RPE as an extra metric on that. Yeah. Because I think it's... um, we're missing a trick if we're just focusing on heart rate and pace, because even if heart rate or pace was better, but it felt worse for whatever reason, maybe their run technique um, starts to degrade at a slightly faster pace or the heart rate is dropping, but actually they feel more out of breath. And there's there's a lot of nuance going on as well. So mm. um, I think it's interesting if the athlete kind of, analyzes what they've been through look at the data of course but also add a comment to yourself saying and at this pace or at this heart rate it actually felt better or worse and try and get to the bottom of why because again if you're running long distance um, over a half marathon or marathon you need to get to the bottom of that rp and you you need to be in control of that Mm. so yeah i think the feeling thing that you've said there is so important because that's the heart of it isn't it if people can feel that they're running better Mm. our job's done doesn't matter what the numbers say the heart rate the pace the rp whatever if people feel better when they're running it feels easier for them then that's a real mark of because it's different isn't it running to being on the bike You, you are physically moving your body against gravity and so it can feel 
harder some days and easier other days. I think a mark of the winter training progress is the runs progressively feel better. And athletes who don't make a note of how it did feel have got nothing to kind of compare it back to and go, oh, okay, I guess, you know, I love reading when an athlete writes, I can just feel that things are getting better. I can feel that my fitness is improving. That's the real main thing that is incredibly hard to quantify as a, like a scientific point of view, but is the thing that is the most important from an athlete's point of view, I think, Chris. Yeah, I think the athletes um, that I'm closely working with at the moment expect me to get really excited when I log into their sessions and see an FTP workout and some, you know, really big numbers felt comfortable. That's brilliant. That's great. But actually, where I get a real kick is where I see an easy 30 minute or 45 minute e-paced easy run. And I can track in January, they were making comments of, I felt a bit sluggish, legs were heavy, but it was okay. It was fine. It's usually fine because it's a very easy session. But slowly but surely, their comments are kind of disappearing on these sessions and they're going into, um, yeah, that felt great. Absolutely fine. Nothing to report. And that's what I want to see is that the same session, even though it's an easy session, just feels easy and easy. And now a lot of athletes, they're kind of referring it as it's not even a session. It's I'm just going out for a 45 minute easy run. But that is. And 16 weeks back, that was a session to a certain degree, and it it didn't always feel good. And now, week after week, those easy runs, and the pace doesn't matter that much. Again, it's that they're feeling really good. And the likelihood is, if you're feeling good whilst you're running, the likelihood is that you can keep running another half hour, hour, two hours, feeling good like that. The problem is when you're not feeling good, and then obviously there's some issues to work on. So, yeah, ironically... I think the athletes are expecting me to make comments on the big, exciting FTP sessions. But at the end of the day, I'm getting more excited by the 30 or 45 minute easy run that is genuinely easy for them. I love that. Hmm. It's a great. It's almost like there's two there's two parts to this there's a scientifically quantifiable, measurable improvements that happen. And then there are these almost anecdotal feelings that come alongside it as well. I think from the measurable point of views, we often get asked by people, like, what what kind of improvements can I expect to see across a winter? And so typically we'll answer that question, I think. Typically we'll see between a 5 and 10% jump in FTP across a winter block. And I'll qualify that again in a minute. We'll see about five seconds improvement at CSS pace, or we might not see a CSS change, but we'll see an improvement in there 400 and 200 times. We'll come back to the nuance of that as well in a minute, because that's something that drives people up the wall. And then in the running, we'll typically see five to 10 beats a minute less at the same pace or flip it 10 to 20 seconds per mile faster at the same heart rate. Now, the reason we said we'll quantify these things a minute ago, CSS pace is an absolute bugger, isn't it? In terms of showing people, showing people improvements, because it's possible the way we'll briefly talk about the the CSS measurement, it looks at your 400 time relative to your 200 time and the maths of it divides one by the other and works out how much you've slowed down from your 200 pace to your 400 pace. And so it's possible for an athlete to actually improve both their 400 and 200 times but end up with the CSS pace exactly the same or some instances a second or two slower. And people are baffled and it feels like a failure to them, doesn't it? But actually, the thing we've got to bring you back to here is to say, 
No, the measure of this is you are now a faster swimmer over 400 metres. It's still correct to train at the new CSS pace because that's what's most appropriate for your training. But don't lose sight of the fact that you are improving and getting faster by training at that pace. So nothing's going to change if you keep on going. That's the key to it here is that CSS pace is a great measure of progress, but ultimately it's the 400 and 200 times themselves that are the real measure of improvement in swimming. And again, I'd say to the athlete, take it seriously and respect the CSS test and the number that comes out of it. But at the end of the day, again, we're looking at how quickly you can swim over two race specific distances, 400 and 200. If you're swimming 3.8K in the open water in your race, then naturally it's not the most specific test for that. But the reality is we need a test, we need a benchmark. The coaches need that to make sure that when we're giving you a CSS swim, that you're not swimming over or under that. So that's what it is. It's the word that keeps coming up with benchmarking. And obviously it's always nice to see improvement but we can't always see improvement so therefore take it with a pinch of salt get excited when you do get that breakthrough but also remember that just because you swam a quicker 400 meter doesn't always mean that you're going to swim a a quicker 3.8k on race day and vice versa so take it with a pinch of salt and just be in that moment when you do the test be in that moment give it 100 percent, but then don't let it spiral for the next week or two and think that oh all this works you know it's not actually doing the benefit that i want because it is but we're in endurance sport and it takes seasons upon seasons to to really improve on your race performance so keep that in mind yeah i, I think the css test being 400 meters 200 meters is great at showing are the changes that you're making to your stroke over the winter technique block are they working? Because you will directly see them in a 400 meter time. Because as we said, it's not the fitness for 99% of the athletes that's determining the time on the clock. It's application of their technique to the water. So if things are working in the drills, you will see yourself going faster in the 400. And it's, I mean, everybody knows six to eight minutes to 10 minutes worth of swimming, depending on how fast you are very very hard to swim hard for that period of time it's like a vo2 max effort but there's enough information coming out of that test to show you that the drills are making a difference something that will change as we go into our race specific training plans going forward after the winter block we're not going to use the css test anymore we're going to go to change to using a much longer endurance test we'll talk more about that next week So you're dead right to identify, look, it's a really good test of this thing. It's not a great predictor of your swim time over 1500, 1.9, 3.8 K. And so we're moving to a different test later on after that. Not to say there's anything wrong with it, but I think we can get a better and more specific set of information for our athletes going forward. Yeah. Here's a difficult question, Rob. Um, sorry to put you on the spot, but I do think it's important to to bring it up. And so an athlete may have been through a very similar process to the one that we've been talking about over the 16 weeks. And if they come out of that 16 weeks and they do the test that we talk about and they don't see the improvements that they either hoped for or expected or maybe no improvement at all, what would your message to that athlete be? I think the context of this is everything. and. The most important part to remember is the test is just a snapshot of what's happened on the day and can be massively influenced by things that have happened over the last week or two. 
we all know personally from the last couple of weeks, illnesses that happen over the winter time can be something that can affect you in the very recent past, a couple of weeks ago, that can put a dent in the effect that the tests can have. Okay, so that's something that can play a part in it. Again, we've mentioned with with swim testing, we can sometimes see people are making changes and getting faster 400s, but not seeing an improvement in the CSS time. And again, that's okay. The CSS projection is, is one thing. Seeing the changes in your 400 time is another. And if you're not seeing a change in your 400 time, arguably that's a good thing as well. You found out that the, the drills that you've been trying have not worked for you. You're going to need to go back to the drawing board and find something else. Because the bottom line of that is, if you keep doing the same thing, you are going to keep getting the same result. So it's time to get some video analysis, look at what's going on. If you've been seeing one coach, see another swim analysis coach, see if another drill or another pair of eyes can help move you through that plateau. And there's also, I think there's all, <laughs> there's also an element of athletes who've been at this for multiple seasons. They're kind of at a disadvantage here. Because once you've got, let's say, two, three seasons worth of endurance training, if it's been structured the whole time into your body, the gains are not going to continue at the same rate forever. And especially if you're entering into middle ages, we're approaching 50 and beyond. The game changes from being, can I see increased levels of gains year on year to even getting to the point where eventually, and it's not going to be the case for everybody at the same age, but eventually, we're going to get to the point where year on year, our body is going to start declining. So arguably being able to hold the same level from year to year is a win in itself, right? You're stopping that inevitable decline that happens just through loss of muscle mass, aging, whatever. So there's all those factors to go, look, this isn't the end of the world. But more important than that is just to remember the tests themselves are indicative of the training we've been doing, but they're not a predictor of how your race is going to go at middle or long distance. There's a lot more to it than 400 meter swim time, FTP and run test time. And the benefits that long endurance history brings are much more skewed towards a long distance race performance than to a short distance FTP test or CSS test. So there's every reason to think that your race performances can still improve, even if you've seen you know little little improvement, no change, maybe even a small decline over the winter. You can still definitely see improvements come the summertime. This is um, this has struck a chord with me, Rob. And over the past, call it three years. Um, if we use bike as a as an example, my don't FTP... you start telling me that your performance is declining at thirty four years old? No, so. It's not. De- <laughs> it's not declining, but it's certainly plateauing to a certain degree. The gains are plateauing, right? Yeah, okay. it's you know it's marginal gains. It's what here or what there, and that can go either way. And I remember when because I've probably had five or six years where every single test, I was always finding five to 10 watts in my FTP test. And then there comes a point where that five to 10 watts becomes three watts. And you're thinking, "Hmm, do I need to change something in my training? And then it's two watts, then it's the same FTP or even slightly lower, depending on how the performance went. And it'd be very tempting to do a bit of a Lionel Sanders, throw the training plan in the air and say, I need a new coach or I need to be vegan. (laughs) You can do that if you want. (laughs) 
I love that. To do a Lionel. That should be a phrase. That should be a phrase. To do a Lionel. <laughs> don't do a Lionel. He's amazing, but don't do a Lionel. Um, and it would be very easy to think that something needs to change because I'm plateauing. But we're, again, we're an endurance sport and it takes a lot of time. So the way that I've got excited about FTP tests and how I make progress is I'm remembering that the majority of my races are five to 10 hours long and I'm testing for 20 minutes and that's still relevant and it's still a good metric to use but at the end of the day I can still be a much quicker athlete with the same FTP and so remember we're not robots there's so much more that we can work on than just smashing the pedals for 20 minutes there's how's the bike handling can you go around corners without touching the brakes at the wrong times how's the nutrition after three hours do you start to get stomach cramps what are you doing to do that how's the electrolytes are you making sure that you're getting them exactly the right time how's the race craft how's the pacing how's the nutrition how's the recovery there's so much more that actually my ftp could be down five watts it could be the same but my race day performance could be significantly different depending on all the other elements that I'm focusing on. So look at FTP for what it is. It's that 20-minute really important effort. But you can still be a much quicker triathlete or endurance sport athlete if you look at everything else that's going on. So don't get too, I mean, I think I'm repeating myself, but don't get too bogged down in this in this FTP. Yeah. I loved your story about... Um one of the races that you did where you were determined to put out the lowest possible watts amongst the top finishers rather than it being a a willy waving contest of who's got the biggest <laughs> numbers it, it became how how fast can i go can i keep up putting out i forget what your number was it was 150 watts or something wasn't it can i can i cruise along with the group at what whatever it was that's a really intelligent mindset that says yes, okay, my numbers might not be as high as before. And I think this informs the older age group athletes here. Mm. Might I might not have the same amount of power to play with. Can I be smarter? Can I be more wily? Can I find a way to stay in the aero position longer to, you know, whatever it is, it's possible to do that. Yeah. There's one, one thing you touched on here that I'm going to add on as well. I think the biggest determiner of gains in training is something that most people don't track and that's how much sleep they get Mm. and it's it's almost like this turbocharger for training but it's the thing that gets cut in modern society as a sign of you know the margaret thatcher i only need four hours of sleep a night kind of thing Mm. you become the lazy athlete if you're sleeping the whole time if you can get more sleep and it wouldn't surprise me at all i've got no data to back this up but wouldn't surprise me at all if if results in tests were correlated with sleep hours and an extra hour of sleep or the ability to find the time to have a nap in the afternoon once a week brilliant yet it's something that can't sell on a website doesn't come wrapped in carbon isn't lightweight isn't sexy but it's something that makes massive massive performance gains to people yeah totally i like that a lot and it's it's not easy we have a lot of training to do we've got a lot to balance but if you can prioritize that it does go a long way especially again we talk about consistency and it's not just consistency of turning up for your bike session and swim but it's also consistency of sleep so if you yeah. can do that night after night then yeah it, it's naturally gonna have a very positive impact yeah 100 percent Right then, I think that brings us just about to the end of this week's episode, doesn't it really? Yeah, it's a good one. Um, I hope that 
people have enjoyed their last 16 weeks. It's not easy. I'm in a similar kind of boat where, you know, I'm analyzing a little bit of have I under-egged it, have I over-egged it in terms of my motivation, my application. But I think if athletes listen to this and, you know, take a little bit of a step back and think what what would they like to change for their next 16 weeks? Now's the time to start thinking about that and, and be accountable and write it down and, you know, talk to your coaches about it, talk to your fellow athletes. And I think being accountable goes a very, very long way and not just having an idea in your head and then leaving it there. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And I think I'd leave people with, with the idea of this. If you've done any amount of training across the winter, and you've left yourself in the position where you can go out for a ride with your mates or a run with your mates and enjoy any period of time, a few hours, half an hour, running, riding, swimming with your friends outdoors and enjoying the feeling of being physically fit, that's ultimately the payback of this. The races are just the motivation to get you onto the trainer and get you out the door every day. But if you're fit enough to go out and train with your friends and enjoy the outdoors, you've done a great job. And I love to see people's numbers increasing, but more than that, I love to see people happily moving in the outdoors and and under their own steam, essentially. So that's the ultimate marker, I think, of of the winter block. You've managed to train every day when it was bloody difficult to, and now you're in great shape to start enjoying the days getting lighter, having more daylight hours. Summer's hopefully on the way when the snowstorm goes, and you've been in a really, really good position going forwards. Now, in the next episode, we're going to talk about looking forwards, training plans, going forward to race events, how that's going to change the differences between the winter plan that's now finished and the race specific plans, both in terms of changing durations of sessions, but also the makeup of the sessions and what they're specifically for. And I think we can get into the nuance of It's not just about FTP, as you've said, the different things people can do to add extra strings to the bow that means come 12, 14, 16, 20 weeks, whatever it is to their race, they'll be in really great shape to add on race specific fitness on top of the winter fitness that they've already built. Sounds great, Rob. Look forward to it. Good. Thanks very much for joining us, Chris. We'll catch up again with you next week. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. hopefully some good informative coaching advice there about how your training has gone over the winter and how that's going to really set you up for a good springtime and really great race season this coming summer hopefully for you and that sets us up nicely to go over and talk to julie howe she is our, our winner of the coaching package for Ironman uk this year and we've been doing a series every month following her training called diary of an age grouper so As you'll find out, things have not quite gone to plan for Julie over the last month. So let's join her for her uh, for her monthly update. Hiya, Julie. Welcome back onto the podcast. Oh, we're having some fun trying to line up the start of this recording. I know, I know. (laughs) (laughs) It's nice to see you again. Nice to see you too. We are going to give everybody an update on your training at the end of month two for Ironman UK. And I'm going to give the listeners a little a little preview before we record. This is not going to be one of those, everything's fantastic, 
and I'm feeling 100% and everything's going better than ever. We've had a little bit of illness over the last month, haven't we? We have, we have. And oh. I wish I could, you know, in a way, I wish I could say everything's been amazing and, you know, it's all a bed of roses over here, but it's not, it's not been good. The first half of the month was great and I was on a fantastic trajectory from last month. Training was going really well. First two weeks was brilliant, you know, hitting all the targets, doing everything. Um, and then half term again, everything's fine during half term we had to rejig the schedule a little bit you know um kids were at home all the time so it was like you know sadly I couldn't make the early mornings work because you know well for whatever reason so I was doing late evening stuff and then uh one of my kids got sick which happens you know they're basically bags of gems um and then and then I got sick and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. So I was absolutely fine during half term, Saturday fine, Sunday fine, Monday morning, woke up and I felt like, what, what is this? I had like, my neck was swollen. I was hot. I was just like, okay, so, so training is not happening today. Um, and every Monday as part of this sort of team oxygen addict Sort of chats we 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 let everyone know how the week has gone and so we fill them in and and what we're looking forward to the next week and so I, I sent in my message saying yeah week was great uh but now I feel like death um so how do I adapt um so yeah I got some good feedback which says there's a lot of it going around isn't there yeah. at the moment and and I'm sure you saw that in the group there's a lot of people have got it Andy's yeah. had it I've got it it seems like the half term week at the end of the winter is when all the kiddies come home and just okay. make all the mummies and daddies sick. Right? I know, I know. And you know what I said, uh, you know, when, when I, when I told the kids that I wasn't well, because, you know, mums generally they're like, mums try not to get sick because then the whole world falls apart. But then, you know, I said to my youngest, I was like, oh, it's my turn to be sick now. And she was like, Oh, I was sharing mama. And I'm like, Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> let's stick to sharing toys <laughs> and uh, let's keep the germs to ourselves please <laughs> you know bless you yeah do. i know so, a bit of a bit of a disturbed week in terms of obviously it was, you've yeah, got to have yeah. time off haven't you when you when you're yeah. not well and you did that really well you adapted I did, yes. and you accepted so, yeah i did i accepted and i certainly didn't feel like exercising so um last week i took off monday tuesday wednesday thursday uh did nothing with any sort of heart rate above 100 because I couldn't I, I did a couple of sessions of yoga once I started feeling okay to move my neck a bit because everything was still really swollen um you know and then Friday things started feeling a little bit better so did an easy swim did a very short 20 minute run and even though I felt strong on the run my heart rate was a bit higher then it would normally be so which I figured is you know standard because I've just been unwell so you know I'm just taking it easy at easy end of easy pace running um that's fine Saturday and out for a bike ride again try to take it as easy as possible heart rate was still a bit elevated um Sunday easy run uh, you know and I, I just stuck with the easy end of things this week as well it's now Wednesday we're talking on Wednesday and so Monday Tuesday took it easy didn't push myself ready for today's delayed FTP test in the hope that having a few easy days things might settle down heart rate would settle down um woke up this morning with like full of energy because I love these sort of fitness tests I love to see what my body's capable of and I'm, I'm happy to push myself through that physical pain barrier to see what I can do 
And things started really, really well, um, you know, hitting powers that I haven't done before for a time that I haven't done before. And I was like, yes, I've got this. I'm going to smash it. And then about halfway through, my lungs just gave up on me. And I was like, <laughs> ah, I, I haven't got it. Uh, that's the end. I had to lie down and my heart rate, I couldn't calm it down. I just couldn't. Um, so, yeah, it's. Uh, I thought I'd taken things easy enough. Clearly, my body says no. I went to the doctor this morning to be like, what's going on? You know, my daughter recovered in a week. Why can't I recover in a week? Uh, and she's like, you're, you're still not recovered. Your glands are still swollen. Your heart rate's still elevated. Go home and rest. And I was like, yeah. okay, yes, yes, ma'am. <laughs> Doctor's orders. So um, so that's where we are now. So it's, we're it's on hard, isn't full it? rest. It you, is you've, really You've done hard. everything right. You took three or four yeah. days off. You were feeling better. And just mm-hmm. sometimes I think our bodies don't recover from illness as no. quickly as we want them to. No. And, and we don't know until we, we try exercising again. And yeah. you know, you'll get over it in another week or so. Yeah. And I think the thing to remember exactly. is it's okay. I'm on UK still 16, 17 weeks away. And although... Yes it can feel like the end of the world kind of because you're like, why can I not be well now? It's not, it's not that it's like you say 16, 17 weeks as though that's like really far away. But I'm like, Oh my God, it's only 16, 17 weeks away. Really? Well, I think a lot of people who are listening, they're going to be nodding along with this. And there's going to be a lot of people who've picked up the half term book as well. And I think it's a really important message to say, look, in terms of feeling the race is coming 16 or 17 weeks, isn't a long time, but in terms of, 16 weeks of training with good health again that's loads of time yes I know 17 weeks of trying to push yourself when you're not well is is going to be a bad outcome so terrible idea understood yeah no I know and I know that I've got I've got a good base behind me yeah like not just the beginning of this year working with you and the team oxygen addict people but I know you know last year from all the training I did and all the endurance stuff I did with the marathon and the half distance event that I know I've got the base um, it's not easy to accept the time off, um, but I will do it because as I said, coaches orders, doctors orders. Um, but you know, I know, I know that it will be okay and I will get back to it and, you know, we'll, uh, we'll make it through. I'll be fine. Give it, give it a little while, give my body a good chance to recover. Well, I was I was saying to you just before, we looked at your race ready score, yeah. didn't we? And since you've joined us, you've been hitting 95% plus every single week. And so your average 12-week score has been way up above our 75% average that tells you mm-hmm. you are going to be in shape to have a fantastic race. And it's really amazing when you look at that to see once you've got your score, you know, consistently into the 80s, one week of doing nothing has had almost no impact at all yeah. on your average yeah, score. Yeah. And although the, the feelings are, oh, I've, I've, you know, I've had a week off and it feels like I've never trained, the facts show it's had barely any impact on your overall fitness yeah. again. And by race day, this will just be a blip that, firstly, you'll have forgotten about, but also it genuinely will have had almost no effect on your fitness, yeah. if not no effect on your fitness by that point. Yeah. But I think if 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 I did it, if I handled this badly, I think it would have an effect. So if I didn't listen to you, doctor, my body and, and went back, you know, and just carried on, I know that things would go south very quickly and I would lose all that time of training. So I know I know this is a, a good and needed thing. So, yeah, I'm going to be doing I it. think there's a difference, isn't there, between having the mental toughness to push through and train when you're tired 
yeah. compared to the mental toughness to accept that under the rare occasions when you're not healthy, you have to rest. That's that's the really difficult thing that our brains struggle with, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I know. And I think because I enjoy the training so much as well. And part of it, like I, I like I love the training just because it brings me pure enjoyment, but it's also quite a good stress relief for me. Yeah. Um, you know, we've got a lot going on. I work, I've got three kids, we're managing a building site at the moment, you know, like there's a there's a lot going on and and going for a run or doing a swim or whatever is my way of like having my me time, whether it's at 5 30 in the morning or in the middle of the day when I can manage it. So that I'm gonna have to find a different way. And you know, instead of trying to raise my heart rate, I'm gonna try to lower my heart rate. Yeah, and, you know, if I need to do some yoga, I'll do that. But you know, it's gonna be well, I think it's, it's something a, different that a lot of, of athletes really struggle with when they're ill or injured, because all of a sudden, I think it, the me time aspect is really important and it's it plays a big role in people's lives. Yeah. And all of a sudden, when you kind of don't have that socially valid excuse of I'm putting my running shoes on now and daddy's going for a run. I think we should when we're ill, we should say, right, I'm putting my walking shoes on now and I'm going out for a walk in yeah. the forest for half an hour. And you yeah. still have that sort of the me time aspect without it needing to be a high hard. intensity yeah, high, exactly. activity yeah well there's plenty of walking to be done around here and i recently discovered there's a woking palace so oh, i'm going to really? go find woking palace and and learn a bit there about that and we'll pass that and see what we can do yeah. Oh, <laughs> um, good. but yeah it will be good and i know it, i know like one thing i've got to remember is like this is a long game just like the race is a long race. So when I was a kid races like you would train hours and hours and hours and you would race i would race for five minutes so like and then it's done you know it's like all out max effort five minutes and you're finished like you you are literally like completely finished by the end of it but you know this is a very different game I've got to think long term and if I push through this too much I'm I'm gonna damage my chances in the long term for a much longer race yeah so yeah 100% long game there you go wise words Julie wise words <laughs> right but listen so, yeah. we wish you all the best in your recovery you. to full health and i'm sure that by the time of our next catch-up in a month's time you are going to be uh back, back to full it. strength and we can hear about the the massive gains you've had in your tests <laughs> on the next call fingers crossed eh? <laughs> fingers right crossed. well brilliant listen thanks, thanks very much on behalf of i'm on europe and team oxygen addict it's been great catching up with you and uh, get yourself well we shall speak to you again in another month speak to you then bye Hey guys, I hope you really enjoyed that episode there. I hope you made some great gains over the winter. But remember, like we said at the end, there, it's not just about the measurables. If you've managed to keep yourself training during a hard winter, that's fantastic work. And you're now in a great position that you can move forward and really look forward to the springtime, getting outside and training and racing with your buddies. So join us next week. We'll be continuing our chat as we start to look at the specifics of how your training plan is going to look if you're coached by us or how it should look if you're not coached by us. We'll give you some tips on how to structure your own training so you can get the best out of the time you've got remaining before your events this coming spring and summer. So before we wrap this up, here are some discount codes and deals for you. At precisionfuelandhydration.com, you can use the code OA23 for 15% off your first electrolyte order. And if you're looking for coaching for triathlon, 70.3, Ironman, or in fact, any endurance sports coaching this coming season, 
I think we've got the most comprehensive endurance sports coaching program for busy age groupers out there, whether it's triathlon, ultra running, duathlon, aqua bike, running, marathon, cycle sportifs, gravel, ultra swim, swim runs, you name it. Book a call with me and the team to see if you'd be a good fit for joining the team and let's see how we can best help you achieve your endurance event goals in 2023. We've had a couple of slots come up on Team Oxygenetics over the last month as athletes have come to the end of their time with us. So if you're interested, now's a great time to book a call and see if we can help you out. So remember, there's links in the show notes so you don't have to remember them. Just click on those to go straight through to either Precision Fuel and Hydration or to my own calendar to book a call. And until next week, have a great, safe training and racing week. I'm Coach Rob Wilby, and you've been listening to the Oxygen Addict Triathlon Podcast. See ya. See ya.